0: Hey everyone, Devin here coming to you with a special bonus episode from my friends over at Omniscient Digital. They're an organic growth agency that helps marketing leaders at B2B SaaS companies turn content and SEO into growth channels. Their podcast called The Long Game features personal and professional stories that influence frameworks principles ideas strategies that help businesses drive success they talked to a ton of marketing leaders to surface the strategies and ideas that they formed through their unique career experiences And peppered in our weekly kitchen side episodes where the three founders, Allie Decker, David Kim, and Alex Burkett, go deep on the trends that they're seeing and the solutions that they've discovered through their work, both in their careers and through working with clients. My advice? Ask Alex exactly what it means for marketers to be apex predators. If you like what you hear and want to subscribe to the show, look up The Long Game or go to beomniscient.com slash podcast. Enjoy the episode. What's
1: up? This is David Lee Kim, co-founder of Omniscient Digital, and you're listening to The Long Game. In this episode, we chat with Devin Bramall, Devin is a marketing advisor with over 15 years of B2B marketing and leadership experience at startups and agencies. She's a former CEO of Animals, a content marketing agency focused on B2B SaaS companies, where she grew revenue by almost 200% in two years. She's a fervent storyteller and a founder of The Master Slam, a poetry slam style debate about startups and tech. She's also a TEDx organizer and speaker trainer and has competed in several storytelling competitions. She created a popular General Assembly workshop that's still taught today called How to Use Storytelling to Get What You Want. In this conversation, we talk about her path into content. It was catalyzed when she worked at a childbirth center in Indonesia. You're going to want to hear that story. We build up to how she landed as CEO of Animals and why she ultimately stepped down from that role. We talk about leadership, career growth, and her lessons learned as CEO. We also talk about the future of content marketing, AI's role in that future, and how content marketers need to continue evolving. Here's my conversation with Devin Ramhall. Hey Devin, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the long game.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So we're going to jump straight uh into things. I know that a lot of your previous interviews have been about your time at Animals. Before we get into that part, I want to rewind and start about your content origin story. And I want to ask this because I don't think I've met a single person who planned to be a content marketer or an SEO. Like that's not like a career journey you want to be when you're a teenager or something. And a lot of us kind of fall into it by happenstance one way or, or another. So how did you end up in content
0: in the first place? Well, first of all, content didn't exist when I was a teenager or when I was a young adult. So it didn't really, like, there wasn't a thing to aspire to, but I became a content marketer in a birth room, really. This is this is legit. This is not <laughs> like a. No one, no PR company made this for me. Like this is actually, <laughs> so, uh, in my twenties, I was working for a startup for about nine months and went through my quarter life crisis where I was super self-centered and self-important and thought I needed to do something interesting. Very long story short. I left the country. I went to Bali to work for a maternal child health clinic that my mom, um, helped create a program like an education program for with the founder Robin Lim and they without I came there to run a student and volunteer program like I am not a midwife I didn't go to medical school I don't know anything about it except that my mom has been a midwife a home birth midwife uh, for most of my adult life and they behind the scenes decided that I was going to attend a birth so I could like understand the mission of the clinic but they didn't tell <laughs> me and so, like randomly in the middle of the night one night i get a call from robin lamb the founder and she's like devin come come down to the clinic which ps was like i walked down a set of stairs from like the villa I villa the one room i was living in upstairs walk through like a chicken coop through the kitchen into the lot, and like she's sitting out there sewing or something and there's this like woman laboring in the background anyway I help deliver a baby and it has a huge impact on my life. So I go home and write about it at like four o'clock in the morning while the sun rises. I turn it into a blog post on my blog for my trip to Bali, which every basic white girl ever has done. And when I eventually go back to Boston and I'm starting my career and trying to figure out what I want to do, I'm working in customer support for a startup. I start uh, doing stand up storytelling. And I launch with this story and the story ends up winning thing after thing. I end up in the finals, whatever. <clears throat> and it really instigates my love of writing. And so I start applying that at my startup. I started trying to do more things there, writing long emails, blog posts, mm-hmm. et cetera, getting my hands on any writing project I can do. And that's really how I realized like, oh, the thing I love customer support is like writing long notes, convincing people that they don't hate us. And like writing these product marketing blog posts for launches, et cetera, like I really got into that side of it. And so um, it was through that that I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for a living. Like, I want to be a content marketer specifically. And the rest is history.
1: You know, what's funny was as I was preparing for this interview, I I saw your LinkedIn. I saw you worked in Bali uh, at that organization. I was like, how do these things tie together? And there it is. You threaded the needle perfectly. Probably the most unique story of how I heard someone that in content.
0: Well, it sort of extends, right? Because how many content marketers do you know who became CEOs, right? And it's like, the sort of my my yeah. whole career is full of, you know, things that seem random. Like, how did that happen? But then you go kind of go into the weeds and you see all the actions I've taken and how they've influenced me. And it actually ends up making a lot of sense, so.
1: Yeah, so maybe we can get to that. How How would you talk about the narrative of, okay, you were working at this birth center in Bali to moving into tech and content and focusing on a writing career. And eventually you landed at Animals. So what were the, how would you talk about the milestones that led you to CEO of Animals?
0: Somewhat traditional, I moved up the ranks and I was really, uh, I was good at advocating for myself. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I got the opportunity at Springpad, which was the startup I was working for, where I transformed from customer service to content marketing. And like I went after that. I was strategic. I went to the CEO, Jeff Chow, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And he's like, but buddy up with Jacqueline because she's going to be the new CEO. I did that. Huh. She gave me the opportunity I wanted. Um, and then like, I don't know, eight or nine months later, another startup came to me and they were like, Hey, do you want to do customer support? And I said, No. I do content marketing now and I want to manage a team. Like I wouldn't let them offer me. They tried so hard to give me this role. They're like, "What if we give you both departments and you can like hire a person?" And I was like, "Great." And so like I was like, "I want this title." So I was always really focused on, you know, title, um, responsibility and pay. Um the pay at that time went a lot slower. Like I see the content marketers now who are like making so much money. And they're like, so long I'm like you would be paid <laughs> what I was paid back at. Like, it's crazy. I'm like, I, I was a manager making like $75,000 a year. Like it was, yeah. um, so anyway, so it was very, like, I moved up the ranks. I was like, and I didn't know exactly my destination. What I knew was that I loved being in a creative field and I loved leading. It was hard. I, I was motivated by the challenge and in content marketing, it, I could lead and still be immersed in creativity. And that was really fun for me. So um, I just continued to move through different companies, landed at Help Scout, job of your dreams back then when you were a content marketer, like that was the place you wanted to land because they yeah. were one of the, like, they're like, you know, AppQs, Wistia, like I'm from Boston. So obviously those are my darlings. You know they really cared about content, they did incredible work. It was such an incredible team. Oh my gosh, I've never had so much fun creatively as when I worked there. Um, and that's how I learned about animals. So, um, they were an agency that uh Help Scout was working with. My boss, eat introduced me to Walter, uh, and we worked with them a little bit. And then when I um, was fired from uh, Help Scout, I was kind of like freelancing, etc., and then I you know suni he said hey you should ask Steve if walter needs help and so i was originally just going to tap him for um freelance work but he said you know cuz that was sort of the my career like up until that point i was moving up the ranks to be a boss i knew i did not want to be a cmo i never wanted to mm-hmm. be a cmo um that job felt like garbage why to me why not oh it's not f- it's like all it's all business mm mm-hmm. Like it's not actually creative or strategic at all. It's like all business. And it's business in the ways that I didn't find. What's interest. the pipeline numbers? What are the yeah. numbers? You don't even really get vision as a CMO. You're kind of assigned the vision. You kind of like have to give it to other. It's, it's not, it's an amazing role for people who like it. It did not serve my um, interests. So then I thought I was just going to be a freelancer, uh, but talked to Walter. He needed help on the agency side. I never worked agency side. I got to be a VP. Um, Actually, technically, I think I started as a director, but it was like a move. It was a move in my career that added something. It was a next salary level that I wanted. And then I got to move into VP. So like, yeah. Um, and at that point, VP was fine. Like, I didn't really know that I wanted to be CEO until, actually, it wasn't that much time at all. I joined in March of 2018, and that summer was when I looked at Walter, and I said, I pointed yeah, right out. Uh
1: there's like a story, right? I think uh, Jimmy was saying it was at an offsite and it wasn't like a one-on-one, like you said in front of everyone, I want your job to to Walter. I
0: pointed at him, <laughs> like quite literally, I pointed right at him. Yeah. <laughs> and Walter, to his credit, he was really cool about it. He went on um, Chris Savage's podcast a few years ago and talked about it. And Chris was like, weren't you, like, didn't you feel like, I don't know, put upon, like, was that threatening to you or whatever? And Walter's like, no. He's like, I think being CEO, like, it takes kind of a crazy person to be CEO. And he's like, if she's crazy enough to want it, like, I actually think that's kind of cool. Like, if that's something that you're like going after, like, I like that. And he was really yeah. uh, supportive. So
1: you, you uh. said something interesting that was kind of in passing, but I think it goes contrary to a lot of platitudes. People say like, don't worry about the title. But what you said was, no, I care about the title. That's what I wanted, which I have a, another good friend, Joe Lee, who's VP at Entre. Now he did that early on in his career too. He was like, you know, I took, I worked at an unsexy company, but I got the VP title, and that has probably put me ahead of a lot of people because I was willing to work for an unsexy company. You, I think, Help Scout was very sexy at the time. Like, uh, I'll, I'll give you a lot of credit here. I remember when I was really focused on content and SEO, Help Scout was one of those blogs that you always go to for inspiration. So now I know that you are the person behind all I wasn't
0: the only person. There were many people working on it, but I was there for a time and a very transformative time for them. Um, So I do take credit for that. But um, title, okay, anyone who says title doesn't matter, doesn't know what they're talking about, honestly. And there is some nuance to that. So, The same title isn't weighted the same at every company. So if you're smart, you understand that, right? Like if you want to move in your career, you have to understand how the business works. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to go to business school. I didn't. I was homeschooled. I got my GED and I did not go to business school and I got to be CEO, and I made them a ton of money. So like, you know, but the title matters. So at smaller startups, um, title is title and responsibility. Sorry the responsibility is an important piece because you need experience in order to execute your title well. And that does matter. Like if you switch jobs and you do a bad job at your title, like you're dead in the water. Right. So, um, you know, for me, it was moving from manager, content marketing manager with no team as an individual contributor to content marketing manager, uh, who managed a team. Um, and then, I forget what my other title is. And then director at Help Scout. Director at Help Scout was huge because director, if you're a director at like a huge corporation, like you're leading a team of like hundreds yeah. of people potentially. And that's like a really big job. And so um, directors and then VP and then C, like I'm telling you, the engagement on my posts on LinkedIn when I had CEO in my title were like off the charts. <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff that flows down river for you that and that's a very small example when you're a ceo like people just yeah. care about who you are and i i i know that that's unfortunate but like it's true and i think and this is another like unfortunate reality that like i have to just acknowledge if you're any type of minor minority leader aka like not a white male leader it just so happens that the world has caught on to this and they and, and and on its most sinister it's 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 um Uh, superficial. Mm -hmm. DEI has become this like very superficial thing, unfortunately, um, where like people are like, want to show that they're inclusive by showcasing people who are not white male, like, you know what I mean? But like, I hate to say it, but it does also give like the sinister parts of the world also end up benefiting people in a way where it's like, well, then you get more exposure. So like being a female leader, I'm not even like, I don't even really count as a minority anymore, but like technically there aren't that many female leaders and like that gets you some attention. Right. And so like the title, the title matters.
1: Like it does.
0: I don't think that it means that you can't do anything without a title, but like, guess what? My, it matters in terms of how much you're exposed to at a company and the amount you're exposed to at a company Ups, your skill level I see so many people in like manager and director roles who like don't really understand the business unit well enough to know how to lead their team effectively yeah and I'm like because I was always gunning for that no matter where I mean I used to sit in a room with like a bunch of white guys like yelling at each other but I was like I was the only non-leadership person in that room because Of the responsibilities that I took on and the investment that I made. And so, like, I got to learn a lot. And then my next role was director, right? So, anyway, um, I think the title matters a lot the responsibilities and then the ownership you take. And just like, you've, I was a pain in the ass. I broke, I, you know, I annoyed the shit out of people, but I got given more exposure and opportunities than some others.
1: I love that. So, you moved into CEO and under. Uh, your leadership, the company grew revenue. I think it was 200%. I imagine We were at
0: like one, hold on. We were, yeah, because we were at, oh my God, it's like history. I think we had done three or 3.5 in 2019. Mm -hmm. And we did six, a little over six in 2020 and then 11 and a half in 2021.
1: Wow. So what were the, I'm not going to start with challenges. Cause I think everyone goes there first. What did you realize that you were really fucking good at when you stepped vision. in as
0: CEO vision mm. and in the beginning, in the beginning, it was like, I was good at that and I was good at team culture. Like the culture was really good. Um, I think the culture thing ended up being empathy and cult empathy was what ended up being the thing that kind of like destroyed me, but mm. vision, like even, even after the big work, workforce changes, when it was like impossible to please anyone, no matter what you did, like I knew, like I knew how to activate them and get them excited about stuff. Like that is my sweet spot. Is like I can rally people around an idea, a cut, co- like, and I'm, I have good idea. Like my visions are very, like they're compelling, they're interesting, they're unique, they're like presented in a different way. Like during the pandemic, I would write these like long notes to my team. Like one of them started off with a, was like something like, I've been thinking a lot about eels and like people used to cry. Like it was a whole, right. And like, all of that is like the storytelling, the vision. Um, and then again, like sort of translating that into how you treat your team, how you care about your team, how you lead your team. Um, those were all and I was I mean look I was good at selling I was good at like I don't like I think that's sort of the I don't want to sell that part of me short like I like I knew I knew content marketing in and out I knew how to get the same thing I could do with my team I did with customers right like I could get them really on board with an idea like a real idea yeah. something you could actually do right I'm not making stuff up I'm not selling snake oil I was like like I could just look at someone or listen to someone on a call and know exactly what they needed to do and how to talk to them in a way that they could hear me. You know, mm-hmm. I take charge in a lot of conversations, which gets me in trouble, but it also wins me a lot. That confidence, yeah. people are looking for that left and right. And I can tell you that as a CEO, I was begging for people to have confidence around me and tell me something true. Mm-hmm. And that's rare. That's very rare. Those two together, yeah. especially. <clears throat>
1: So you you kind of alluded to this, but the empathy kind of being the thing that uh, kind of was counterproductive uh, is how I'm interpreting it. So maybe that leads into like, why did you decide to ultimately step down? Like, what were the challenges that that led to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, there were two. There was there's sort of like an academic, uh, a superficial thing, and sort of like the internal thing that like sort of I stopped having the energy for um and that internal thing was sort of you know I realized I I had led in a way that my desire was this was the whole concept this has been my like my dream as a leader and the thing I was dying to fulfill that was completely wrong but I was like, hmm. I just want to show that you can lead a successful company and be great and do great work and not be an asshole. Yeah. It was the, my desire to not be an asshole that caused me to lead in ways that were unproductive. I sought my team's approval too much and I created like, I created a monster basically. And that... There were areas where I should have held stronger ground. I shouldn't have tried to please them. I shouldn't have, I should have just said, no, I'm not going to do this. Or I don't believe, you know, like kind of been, um, been okay with taking a stance on things and making decisions that I knew all of the team wouldn't be happy with. The other thing I did, and this is such a rookie move, It makes me so sad that I was like the most basic in this way. But I listened to the like, I listened too hard to a small group of people who are strong, like the loud ones.
1: Mm.
0: It's the first lesson in customer support. There's this group of loud people that as an early customer support person, I would go to my engineers and be like, this is a big problem. And they're like, how many people? I would say one, but he told me I was ugly. Truly. I've been told I was ugly over email before and people have never seen me because oh they were not about one feature. And I'm like, why did I listen to that guy? It was a guy, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, you listen to the people who are the meanest and you listen to people who are the loudest. And I did that. And it was such a mistake. I, you know, there are, there are people I should have, like there's just, culture is more than just making people happy. Culture is making decisions Mm -hmm. that keeps everyone together. And I just, I made such a rookie mistake. I wanted people to like me. I wanted them to tell me I was good. And that is like, is a mistake.
1: If it's okay, if it's okay to ask, because I think it's a pretty interesting time in terms of, I mean, you mentioned DEI. Like there's a lot of different things that, at least in the news, we hear about these big corporations and employees protesting and things like that. Like, are you able to share any specific examples of like when you listened to a small group of people and made a made the wrong decision?
0: Okay, when I say small groups of people, I don't mean like a small, like racial or minority group. Like that is not what yeah, I mean. No, no, no like, not like that. A random yeah. group like, of people of, come yeah, together to, numbers. because they just are never going to be happy with anything, right? Um, the DEI stuff I actually think was deeply important. The disappointing thing was like DEI doesn't work until, unless you have executive sponsorship. So I like, even behind the scenes, there were times when like things like we need to hire certain leadership roles. And I was like screaming about it. I was like, we need to, but you know, and so, um, like, you know, we started, we had a bunch of people who wanted to run all these initiatives and we were like, great, let's start like a task for us. I, w- I was in every single meeting, right? I was like, I have to kick this off. Right. And it was interesting because we had these like groups and we tried to give different people like ownership of different initiatives. So we could do multiple things at once. And granted like that stuff, you know, the first pushback is like, well, are you going to make time for this? And I'm like, and, and an agency it's like, okay, yes. But also like we're all investing extra time in this, right? And so then like, it comes down to this, it ended up sort of coming down to this argument of like, are you going to take more work off my plate so I can do this thing? And I'm like, but like to a point, right? And like, we already had like the lowest workload of like any company. Like I've talked to so many other agencies and they were like, are you, how did you keep the lights on, right? Like that's, and we did have good margins by the way, but, and so, and then people who just like never followed through. And so Mm. there's sort of this demoralizing aspect of like, and then you get this, other group of people who are like, they don't care about blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait a second, you know? And so it's like, I think in hindsight, all I needed to do was say and demonstrate this thing is important to me. Here's what I have to invest in it right now. I know it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is going to make some of you feel like you don't believe me and I'm sorry, but like, this is what we're going to do. And I think instead I just kept screaming, I would kept trying to, you know, I kept trying to make things work and I kept seeking. And I think when you come from a place of seeking approval, I think that is such an easy way to lead to bitterness. It's such a surprising thing that I never really understood until I went through it, but, um, boundaries can make people love you. Yeah. But love should never be the objective when you're running a company. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to hear, especially when there's so many examples of companies who don't care. But saying your objective isn't for people to love you doesn't mean you don't also love your people and want to make them happy. Mm -hmm. And it's a really confusing nuance to understand unless you've been in that. Like I used to say, I'm like, I wish every single person could be CEO for like a week. You'd understand the kinds of decisions that like you're kind of, you're faced with and the reason behind the boundaries that people don't get visibility into seeing. And so they come to conclusions based on that, which is unfortunate. So big learning for me. Look, I got my butt kicked. The things I thought were going to be hard for me, like the businessy stuff, finances and planning, all this stuff, that stuff ended up being relatively straightforward. Yeah. Once you get past 50 people, it's a lot harder and i did not i wasn't i was like this is the thing i'm good at i'm going to be great at this and i was bad or i made mistakes in areas i didn't even know like were mistakes that could be like things that could happen right um yeah and after a point i just i i, I think i i tapped out on that side right that was like the heart wrenching tap out because i was i just realized that i wasn't doing it for me anymore it didn't serve me. I didn't care anymore. I, I like, I, I genuinely stopped caring. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I've given everything I can give, and I don't feel the energy I need to feel to keep doing this. It felt, That's, it was draining. Uh, it wasn't returning anything back to me. All the weeks through a crisis for two years, yeah. It's like add to that that like we were near constant crisis. I was like, you know, I think I can handle. I handle crisis really well. You know, people kept trying. Oh, it makes me so mad. This whole burnout thing. People kept trying to assign burnout to me. And I was like, I need you to know that I have been burnt out more times in the past two years than like ever in my life, and I chose to overcome it. I chose to work through it. I built my like. I don't think that I don't give as much favor to the burnout conversation as other people because I think that people have more power than they think they do, and I I had that power even when I was not CEO, um, and uh, it wasn't burnout. I just you have to care. Yeah. And I didn't care. I... And the other side, the academic side was um, you know, we had to make some decisions on where to take the company. And mm-hmm. Walter and I had always been really aligned on that. And like we weren't per, we were sort of aligned, but not perfectly. And I realized I was like, you know what? We're just gonna fight about this. And like, my job is to make this company, like, my job is to protect the company. That's the CEO's job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I stay here and fight with you about this, like, A, I don't want to fight with you because like, look at the career you've given me, right? And B, I'm like, the company's going to suffer. And so pairing the other experience, this experience, it was the easiest decision I've made in a long time. I yeah. actually didn't have to think about it that much. It was very technical. And I was like, okay, I'm done.
1: I love that. Um, thank you so much for sharing that and and being vulnerable. <laughs> I know there's, there's going to be people listening to us like, well, did she really share? all that stuff. Um,
0: I so think I normally you should. That. Leading yeah. is a heart-wrenching thing. And I think that a lot of mistake a lot of leaders make is that they try to put on a face for their team. And look, you definitely should, right? Leaders shouldn't be like going out and like melting down. But I, I did notice a few strategic times where I did show vulnerability, both internally and externally. I wrote a I wrote LinkedIn post where I was like, I said something like, I feel deep personal shame every time I make a mistake. That's how it started. And I remember a lot of people reaching out to me being like, oh my God, thank you. Like, we don't see that. So I think that demonstrates like a, you know demonstrating that vulnerability actually helps upcoming leaders, helps your team, et cetera. I think it's important. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, and I think for the listeners, like we had talked about DEI from the lens of like, hey, they're as an example of small group of people like wanting to push for certain initiatives, but DEI is important. I'm a brown man from low-income family, Cambodian-Americans, so know all about it. I just know there's going to be people listening being like, whoa, did they just say G- D and i is not important?
0: Uh, no, but, it's it's yeah. very important. That is why we focused on it actively <laughs> the entire time. Like there was not, there were no D I initiatives when I joined, mm-hmm. right? And like, that was some, look, it's hard at agencies. I get it, but we kept, at, we changed our entire hiring process multiple times. Yeah. To make it like to refine it for that specifically. Like we did so much behind the scenes to support that. And it's still, I'm telling you, it wasn't enough. It's actually mm-hmm. very difficult. To, Cause like, I've been that token hire. I was the only one of my managers, the first time, actually the first time I was hired as a manager, I walked in that office and I was like, oh, <laughs> I am the <sighs> only woman. Mm-hmm. I hired. The second, you know, and like, and so, like, I got it. It's hard to not, like, it's a balance of like not tokenizing people and investing in it in systematic ways where it's a part of how the business runs and thrives. And that was my, that was my true belief. I was like, content marketing is very white and until recently very male. I think that's starting to balance out a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And I was like, you can, our mission was to, um, make the internet a more helpful place. I was like, internet's not going to be more helpful if we're only writing for one group of people. And from one person's perspective, I was like, if we're filling that funnel with talent that is influencing all these companies and then that talent is going off to work for other companies too, I was like, it starts with us. Mm-hmm. And that's why that mission was never going to be fulfilled. Because we were the, like, to me, we were the origin story of that mission being an agency. And I was like, we, it was never going to be enough but you just have to keep trying. Mm-hmm.
1: Did not expect to go down that rabbit hole. Um, I'm Sorry. gonna pull this out. We're gonna switch gears a little bit. So yeah. we're, we're more than halfway and we haven't even talked about content yet. So there's a lot of hype right now, as you know, around generative AI, like Jasper, ChatGPT and all of those. What's your take on all of this? Is the content marketer's job going away? how do you see the world, like the content of uh, future of content marketing playing out?
0: I've been experimenting with it too, actually. Um, which has been fun. So one, I think focusing on it from is the content marketer's job going away is boring and reductive. It's very like, wah, wah. And I think there's a lot of wah, wah right now. And I'm totally bored by it. Um, I think what's the, the, My stance has never changed. AI is going to be a great helper. It already is. I've used it multiple times to create some graphics recently that have been very useful. I tried to use it to write a LinkedIn post and it didn't work because, and this is something that Bernard at ClearScope just said on a podcast, that he crystallized it really well for me. The reason why the LinkedIn post didn't work is because AI doesn't contribute anything new to the conversation. It's synthesizing what exists. Therefore, it makes a great helper it can help with very like sort of foundational stuff. It can help, you know, with, if you give it the right structure, it can help you with like, I even think it can help with an outline, right? Help with idea yes. generation, help with sort of that like baseline content that you can augment, right? It can help you with the the, the teasing out process, right? Um, it can help probably even produce headlines pretty easily. Like I imagine on like oh, yeah. the paid side of things, it's gonna be, it's super already super useful, right? So, I think it's a really useful helper, but because it cannot contribute anything new to the conversation, creatively or otherwise, right? Then it's never going to be able to do as interesting, produce as interesting work as a human can do. They can't tie these things together as well as a human can do. They can't come up with new ideas. They can't analyze well. I think one of the things, examples that Bernard shared that was really helpful was that like um, AI for like politics right oh. like how do you you like it can't like they can't like synthesize a movable entity and topic that's a vote right it's like they're taking what's already there and giving you sort of like a combination of those things to get, to answer whatever question you have or the you know uh paragraph you want it to write for you or whatever but it's not putting things together necessarily like super new. It's not, it doesn't have any new thoughts. And because mm-hmm. of that for now, it's a great helper. I, I, I'm enjoying experimenting with it. I haven't, again, it's not writing My LinkedIn post for me. Wah, wah. Um, but uh, I think it's, you know, it's helpful. It's helpful. That's what I think yeah. it's helpful. And I think that like, you know, when you think about like uh, what that frees your minds up for, like if it can find, it's still finding its place. I think people are still trying to figure out where its place its place resides. Um, but if it can help with some of that foundational stuff, um, especially in the areas of like research, like how can it do research? Like how can it just like automate certain things, right? So that you can spend your brain on a data set, on a set of work and make it unique without having to spend all that extra, like, I think, imagine all the extra brain space, right? If you take away Mm -hmm. a third focused on something that like, isn't using your brain in an active way, imagine what else you're going to be able to come up with creatively. Like this is potentially an opportunity for humans to reach a next level of creativity themselves, which I think is pretty exciting. So. I love
1: it. I, I was actually just working on an article right before our call and I used ChatGPT to spin a, an outline. And I was like, don't like that. Going to edit a couple of things. And I was like, okay, what should the headline or angle should this, art, like, this article should take? And I was like, here's a headline example. Give me 10 different alternatives to this. And it gave me a bunch. I'm like, yep, I, I like a couple of these. Let's keep going down a rabbit hole and try it out. Versus before, what would, what would you do? You sit there, and you type out 10, 20 headlines and keep doing that process, it might take an hour or, or oh my more. God.
0: Yeah.
1: It takes forever. Yeah, even creating outlines takes a long time.
0: Oh, that was the hardest part of our right. I mean, like to this day, the way we are writing processed animals, like the outlines the hard because that's when you're making all the decisions, right? It's like, yeah. Another really good example that I experienced just this week was I was trying to get Dolly to make a, uh, an image for me, and I needed it. You know, the emoji of the woman crossing her hands. Yeah. I wanted it to make <clears throat> like an abstract version of that. So, like, do it as a line drawing. I tried all these different inputs, but the thing that it couldn't process and took me a few tries before I realized it is I said, like, line drawing of woman crossing hands emoji. It could only interpret it as. Um the or I think I tried it with the cartwheel one too. And it's like woman cartwheeling and an emoji. So it either gave me a woman cartwheeling or it gave me <laughs> an emo. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like I see now you can't like that level of description, or I haven't learned how to give it the right inputs, but it wasn't able to put those things where a designer I'd be like, hey. I want to create a like logo for my new podcast. That's like, or like an image to represent it. That's like the woman crossing hands emoji, but I don't want to use a legitimate emoji. Abstract it out. I'm looking for a line drawing, transparent background, like push the limits on me here and here. You know what I mean? And like, give me five versions. Yeah. You couldn't do it.
1: Is this a hint towards your next project? Yes. (laughs) When are are you ready to to talk about some details there? I'm very curious what's going on, what you're working on.
0: Uh, Yes, I can give you a little bit. I've been purposely been very quiet about it, um, mostly because my partner and I are talking about go-to-market strategy on Friday. Uh, So this has been in the work since the fall. And uh, my friend and I, Margaret Kelsey, who's another badass marketer, um, she's like intercom, app queues, open view. Like she's been at it forever. She's a legend. Uh, we wanted to make a podcast and we are, we want to talk about content marketing still. There's a lot, we have a lot of very strong opinions about content marketing. And a lot of the discussions that are had currently online are so boring. Like they're just, it's the same thing over and over. And so we spent some time really figuring out what we wanted that to look like how we wanted to talk about it, what we wanted to talk about. And uh, we're working with this amazing production company, um, share your genius. And they, they helped, like we had these like ideas and they really put it together for us to help us figure out like, oh, we're taking a stance here and it's going to be called Don't Say Content and it's coming out in February. And we're, I'm very excited about it. And um, we're going to be, yeah, we're going to look, we're talking about the thing we love the most that is like that has never changed um but we're coming at it from a different way so we'll see
1: it it sounds like a thing is it is it going to be like if you say content on the show you have to take a shot or something
0: we have a list actually <laughs> i'm no i am not joking like we had an all day planning meeting and we there were these words that we kept we were like i hate that word i hate that word and the first word we the hurt word we hated the most was content and then there was a whole bunch of, so we actually have a list and we were like, there's going to be a thing that you have to do. I think we're going to make money for charity. Basically, it's like, anytime any of us says it, um, we have to put some money in a jar and donate it. Cause there's a lot of annoying words in our, in That's our amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like, you're going to be starting a podcast and what I've noticed is this trend of, I don't know what else to call it besides B2B influencers. like. Before, I think influencer marketing tended to be mostly B2C, like people on Instagram posting about this product you're using, or like mostly beauty products or health products. But in B2B SaaS, there's now people posting on LinkedIn, getting thousands of likes and comments. There's you like getting a lot of engagement on LinkedIn. Like you are one of those people. There's Dave Gearhart. There's a bunch of other folks in the space now. And I'm just wondering how that changes the content marketing or just marketing in general, like when you're trying to do marketing for a B2B SaaS company, should that be a big part of the strategy? Like it's no longer just blogs anymore, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, I think I actually said this on a LinkedIn live with Ashley recently where I was like, blogs are dead. They're not important anymore. (laughs) And I like meant it, but you know, it's like, that's full of nuance, but I was like, yeah, who cares? Like another five years, like no one's going to be reading them. Um, and I didn't make that up, right? Like there's a trend towards different types of media. So like audio and various formats, including podcasts, video and various formats. Like I didn't make that trend up. It hasn't stopped. It's going to continue. And so like, um, you know, I think that, you know, and I think there needs to be a turnover and influencer too. You know, I think there's a lot of people, Mm -hmm. been in the space, a long time, who are really smart, have really interesting things to share, but we kind of know what they're stances already and it, it's remarkable there's a lot of like people who are out there talking who have like you know there's sort of like the dave Gerhardt level where he was in early and like Anne hanley like there are these like sort of largely mm-hmm. like and there's this huge space of people who are sort of like you know really in, like really smart too but they have like they just have different like the way their brand is is like it's it's i don't know how to describe it but so I think there needs to be more voices saying more contrarian things to each other. There needs to be more argument. Hmm. Marketing is so like warm, fuzzy. They're always like, oh, I think like, we need to like argue with each other a little bit more in a very productive, constructive way. I am so over everyone. No calling each other ugly. Oh my God, no whining. Stop whining, everyone. Like take charge of your life for goodness sake. But anyway, uh i think there needs to be more debate and you know um and so that's like that's the way that i'm coming at this is like margaret and i decided that we are making this this for ourselves like we're making this for people who are like have been in it a long time have heard every basic argument like if i hear category creation one more time like that's on the list you're gonna say it um so we're making this to inspire people like us who have just been at it for a long time, right? There's plenty, of, there's so many beginner podcasts to help people learn content marketing and get in the weeds. We really want to take an approach of like, where's it going? What do we find interesting? What corner of the world? Like what the heck is happening with social media and community building and distribution? Like all of those things are basically the same thing, but like what are like no playbooks work anymore organic, organic, to be reductive, organic social media for B2B SaaS doesn't work. But like, what's the next thing then? And I think that's where people are using the name community. They're saying, well, it's community now, but I'm like, do you even know what you're saying? Like, tell me that B2B SaaS company, what does community building look like to you? What is it? And it's like, and, you know, and so anyway, that's, those are the kinds of things we want to unpack is like, okay, stop saying community to me. What specifically are you doing? What is your stance? What is your belief? What is your hypothesis? What are you testing? Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And then what are you going to do after that? Like, that's where the conversation starts to get really interesting. You can take your playbook and burn it. I don't want to hear about it. About it. I don't care. I want you to tell me what you're trying, what happened, all the ways you analyze it, and then what your next step was. Um, and those that like, that's what we're going to be. That's the thing that gets me not bored anymore. That was the yeah. worst thing I've ever said in my life. That's what makes me interested <laughs> and inspired again. And so, uh, and that's why we think if we're not bored, we can help our listeners be less bored. And let me tell you, we are not trying to be, like we are catering to a small industry within a small industry, Right content marketing within the tech, like the software industry, right? Like those are mm-hmm. software, still very small content marketing, still really small. We're not trying to like, we're do, we're intentionally focused on the community in which we've grown up in and care a lot about. We don't need to be like global, like the next, you know, whatever Joe Rogan. We're like, that's not the goal. We want to be, act, we want to activate the community around us. And that's like, that's success to us because that's what would make us interested because now we're starting conversations with more and more people and that keeps us inspired. Hopefully it gets ups our game. Cause now we're both consultants. We need to find a way to keep mm-hmm. being challenged, et cetera. So, um, but, it. hopefully it's fun and informative for other people.
1: Well, I am looking forward to that. One, one thing that we did, I, I love how you're, you're very intentionally niching down. Everyone talks about niching down and they choose like a topic and it's like, that's a very broad topic. Like you meet, you can have a whole podcast series about community and all the different things that means. And we realized that as well, where in the beginning, when we started the agency, we were like, we're not going to write how to do content marketing or what <laughs> is content marketing. Like it's 2020, like everyone knows what this is. And if they don't, we're not, we don't want to speak to them. We're going to write about the nuances and the stuff that people are actually discussing. Like I, I just did a podcast interview with I think you know Joey Chan. Um, She might have been, yeah. Yeah. And And we went into the nuances of like, hey, yeah. But we went into the nuance of like, hey, why do content marketers get paid less than demand gen marketers? Let's talk about that and why demand gen marketers need content marketers. So, why is no one talking about that? So, I I love that you're going to be going deep into the nuances of the industry and like calling out the things that people aren't talking about.
0: Yes. Because, and, all like, why have we like the, the that question is actually really important because the reason why demand gen gets more money is because it's like a one-to-one ratio of like spend to results. Right. Yes. And how that phenomenon has become problematic for content marketing, because we have gotten that plus us getting much better, like technology evolving to be able to measure the performance of content better has reduced content marketing into a like they've tried to make it too much like demand gen where it's like we're gonna do this thing and our expectation is this one article is gonna produce and i'm like that's content marketing yeah. is about brand it that's it that is what it's there for and so like that's that question yes that question is very interesting the, to me and i wish i was on a fly on the wall for that conversation because i would have uh had a lot so, to say
1: i know we're coming up on time and we we should wrap up but we need to have you on for part two. Cause what you just said there, content is for brand. I strongly disagree with though. I understand yes. where you're coming from. So we need to fight.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Need to on that. Yes. Oh my gosh. That yeah. Okay. Focus top. That's like a 30 minute lightning round of like, yeah, let's have at it.
1: Oh yeah. We're going to have a part two for sure. But <laughs> in the meantime, let's let's wrap us up for today and then we'll, we'll schedule a part two here. So. um I'd love to just close with a couple um, like rapid fire questions or you okay. can s- spend a little bit more time on them. I was going to ask about an opinion you disagree with in business, but there's plenty of that <laughs> in our whole conversation already. I think I think we hit our quota there. So what's uh, one impactful piece of advice that you've been given?
0: Oh, geez. Um... One impactful piece. Oh, this came from my coach. She said it to me over a year ago and I didn't understand what it meant until now. She said, when there's nothing left to burn, you have to set yourself on fire. And when she said that to me, I didn't understand how to interpret it. And now that I have reached this point in my career, I realized that burning doesn't necessarily mean an act of anger or vengeance or destruction. It actually is a rebirth. And I think that there is a uh, strength and bravery required to rethink something that you've always held to be true. So the way I ended up applying it was with my career but there have been multiple times in my career where I held a belief about something creatively process the way content marketing works. Like for example, like certain playbooks I've, I've really been dedicated to in the past certain um, uh, beliefs about social media, even right. Like I'm being forced to like quite literally rethink everything about that. And what that invites is a complete, like it's a blank slate When you, when you are willing to set everything, when you, when you set yourself on fire, to me, what you're doing is you're removing all of your beliefs, all of your experience, all your preconceived notions and allowing yourself to take in brand, like net new information and think about it in completely new ways. And that to me is the birth of a create, like a completely new wave of creativity for yourself that is transformative exciting, life-changing both for you and the people around you. And it took me over a year to finally understand what that meant. And I feel like I'm living that right now. And I've, I've, I'm busier than I've been in a while and I'm having so much fun.
1: That's awesome. Some people don't learn that for an entire lifetime. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you landed at that. I think some folks call that beginner's mind um yeah Yeah. but i i like setting myself on fire better
0: it feels very powerful like it does like in an energetic way like it makes me feel like really
1: you can visualize
0: yeah i'm like i'm not an infant i've been here i have the scars setting myself on fire feels like i am in complete ownership of my life. And my and it's just, it feels really like powerful and exciting to me. So that's that. the one I'm adopting now.
1: Great. What's one book that you would recommend more people read?
0: Fiction. Any work of fiction. Oh, The Power. Recommended to me by my friend, wow. Jen Hirsch. Um, the Power is a really good one. And The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Mm, okay. I have not read. Yet.
0: I need you to know that I've read a handful of business books in my life. And so anytime anyone's like, Have you read XYZ book? I, no, I don't read business books. Not because there's a few that Walter recommended to me. One that uh, um, uh, one of my content managers recommended to me that I now can't remember, which is annoying, um, but that were very useful. But for the most part, books are, a lot of those business books are written for people to build their personal brand and careers. And they're very boring. And they could be, they could be just sold into a blog. They could be a... I read fiction to get inspired. (laughs) I read fiction to figure out how to do my job. Like I'm not... I love it. it. Yeah. So.
1: All right. So where can people find you on the internet?
0: Right now, LinkedIn. Like that's pretty much the only place I spend time. Um, if you want to see my personal life, you can go to Instagram, but I don't like, that's not like my workplace, (laughs) the place where you see me most relevantly is LinkedIn and you'll be seeing more of me. And pretty soon you'll see more about don't say content.
1: Amazing. And you'll be doing all the, all the influencing on LinkedIn.
0: I think so. (laughs) I mean, like Twitter's a dumpster fire. Facebook is irrelevant and Instagram's for my friends and family. So,
1: yeah. All right. makes sense. Great, well, Devin, it was so great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation.